coming up on this episode, the predictions for the 2018 season, along with an interview with Elliot Coffey. This is Please Bear With Me. Welcome into the second preseason episode of Please Bear With Me, your go-to source for Baylor football. My name is Scotty Swingler, and it's so good to be talking to you once again this week. If you haven't listened to last week's first episode of season two of Please Bear With Me, you got to go check it out. It was great fun, and I think you'll really enjoy uh, what we had to offer between the position previews and the conversation with Shihan J. Raja to preview the 2018 season. I think it was fantastic. So please go check that out. If you haven't subscribed, why not? Go ahead, subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you download your podcast, go ahead and subscribe and follow us on Twitter at Bear underscore podcast. And now it's time for the 2018 official please bear with me predictions and we're gonna go game by game and discuss just how this season might turn out for Baylor in terms of wins and losses and now we ran a contest last week and said that you might have a chance to be on the show this is the time a lot of you sent in your predictions to me and I am going to include those in this segment as well but for now let's get things kicked off with the please bear with me 2018 season prediction starting with this Saturday's tilt against Abilene Christian. In this good old matchup between the Church of Christ School and the Baptist School, you can expect the Wildcats are going to come out fired up, ready to get their season started well. But, you know, for as bad as the Liberty loss was last season, ACU is not even close to on Liberty's level. They're just a smaller school. They do not compete at this level hardly ever. I'm honestly surprised we even put them on our schedule. Baylor rolls in this one. If they don't, we already need to be rolling our eyes and getting ready for another long year. But I really think with all of the hype surrounding this season's Baylor football team, Baylor rolls in game one. And so you can expect a win against ACU. The following week, Baylor travels to San Antonio to take on UTSA. Now, you might remember that UTSA did come into McLean Stadium last year and win. They made Anu Solomon look meh at best. It was the game that effectively ended Anu Solomon's college football career, which is really sad. This is a UTSA team that is desperate to prove that they belong in big-time college football. They won six games for the second consecutive season last year and yet did not get a bid to a bowl game. So you know they're going to come in determined to make a statement once again against Baylor. They are getting their star linebacker Josiah Tayaufa back this season after he was injured last year, and that's a big deal for them. I expect this game to be tighter than you might expect. I expect it to be uncomfortable for Baylor at times. But I do expect Baylor to come out with a win, especially if we can get rolling right against ACU. So call it a seven-point win for Baylor in this one, and that would move us to 2-0 and on the year. 
Next, the Duke Blue Devils come into Waco to play Baylor. And this is the pivotal game on the year, at least in my opinion. If Baylor can come out with a win in this one, it will really, really give them very good odds to go to a bowl game this season. And you will have to feel good going into the Big 12 going 3-0 in non-conference, especially beating a team like Duke that has a great head coach in David Cutliffe that beats you pretty soundly at home last year. Yet, we did hang with them last year, but nonetheless, they beat us pretty soundly. And a legitimate, you know, Power 5 football team. To get that win would be huge. I do not think we get that win. I don't. I think the step up in competition from ACU and UTSA to Duke will be a big one. I don't know that our team will be ready for it. Again, this game could go either way, and if Baylor wins, it would be huge. But I'm going to go ahead and say we're going to lose that one and drop to 2-1, and one. but that is one of my two toss-up games this year that we very well could win, and I'll get to my second one a little later on. But that wraps up the non-conference slate. So I have us going 2-1 and one in non-conference. And now I'm going to go to some of your predictions sent in to me via Twitter. So regular listener Dylan Reese at Dylan Reese 12 on Twitter says, I'm predicting we go 6-6 six and six with wins against ACU, UTSA, Duke, Kansas, Iowa State, and Tech. We might also upset someone, and that might be OSU if it were to happen. So that's what Dylan Reese had to say this week. Matthew Workman at Matt D. Workman on Twitter said 7-5. and five. He thinks we will start out 4-0, and oh, and then we will beat Kansas State, Oklahoma State, and Texas Tech as well. Don Kirsting at Don Kirsting says Baylor goes five and seven this season. And so I've got us at two and one right now after the non-conference slate. The next game after that is Kansas. And let's be honest, Kansas, we are going to win that game. We do have that game at home. Not that it makes any difference. As bad as we were last year, we're not Kansas, okay? We're not going to be Texas and we're not going to lose to Kansas, so... Baylor rolls in that one, 3-1. and one. Next, Baylor travels to Norman to take on the Oklahoma Sooners. And this is the first big loss of the year. I think every game will be close to this point other than ACU and Kansas. I think the uh, UTSA games and Duke will be close, and we will win UTSA, and we will probably lose Duke. This will be a blowout. Baylor is not going to be able to roll into Norman with its current roster and upset Oklahoma at home. It's just not going to happen. I hope it happens. I love rooting against the Sooners and I love obviously our Baylor Bears, but really have a hard time seeing any way that's going to happen. Kyler Murray is going to have a huge year under coach Lincoln Riley. And I just see the Sooners really rolling with only two or three losses this season. And it's not going to be to us. So that's another loss that would put my prediction at three and two on October 6th comes my second toss-up game after Duke, and that's Kansas State in Waco at McLean Stadium. On one hand, Kansas State consistently has a good squad. Bill Snyder is absolutely one of the best coaches in the sport, and they play the same style of football that Matt Rule wants to play at Baylor, only they do it better to this point. 
And so I have a hard time seeing us get the win. On the other hand, because they do not score in high volume and we have the potential to with our wide receiver and running back weapons as well as Charlie Brewer, I very well could see us having an advantage in this game on the field. And having the game at McLean does give me a little more reason for optimism. And I'm going to actually chalk this one up as as our big upset Big 12 win is I think we can beat Kansas State at home. I think, again, that's a toss-up game. It will be a close game. It will be a battle. I think Baylor comes out with the win on that one, and that would put us at 4-2, and two, which through the first six games, I think you have to be feeling really good if you go 4-2. and two. After that, the schedule starts to get really, really intimidating. Baylor travels to Austin next to take on Texas, and as much as I think Texas is stupid overrated, and I do not think that they are a top 25 team. They are better than we are, and the game is in Austin. I was at that game in Austin two years ago uh, at the start of the big collapse for that 6-6 six and six team under Jim Grobe. And once Texas got on a little roll, that place got loud. They love beating Baylor in Austin, guys. They are tired of of the fact that they have not won a Big 12 championship in a long time, and Baylor won two by stomping on their faces. Texas does not, does not want to show us any mercy, and I do not see us going into Austin and stealing that win. So I'm going to count that as a loss to Texas. Now that we're halfway through the Big 12 slate of games, I'm going to give you another prediction, and this one comes courtesy of your good friend and mine, Drew Mills at AC Mills 237. And here's what he thinks Baylor's going to do this coming season. Hey, this is Drew Mills. Uh, I'm glad to be on. Please bear with me to justify my 7 and 5 prediction for the Baylor Bears in this upcoming 2018 season. I predict 7 and 5 for Baylor because they will be much more experienced, especially Charlie Brewer starting every game rather than just the final stretch of the season. You'll see that Baylor was within 7 points in almost every single game, uh, I believe all but one in the previous season. Additional depth, additional experience, and Matt Rule being able to coach this team for another year will have a tremendous impact and I believe will give them the cutting edge in this upcoming season. That's what I got. So Drew has us at 7-5. and five. So far, I have us defeating ACU, UTSA, Kansas, and Kansas State for four wins. And I have us losing to Duke, Oklahoma, and Texas. So I have us at 4-3 and three through seven games, which isn't bad. But again, we are in the thick of the rough part of the schedule. And after Texas is a trip to Morgantown, and I'll keep this brief, West Virginia is on a title hunt this year, and we never play well in Morgantown, period. West Virginia rolls over us in that game. I hope we put up a good look, a good fight, but West Virginia is going to win that game pretty big. Next, the Oklahoma State Cowboys come to Waco, and I got to be honest, I'm really tempted to mark this down as a toss-up or a potential win, but I just can't. I think Mike Gundy is the most underrated coach in the conference. I think Oklahoma State will once again be elite offensively. I just do not see us being able to keep up with them, and so I'm going to have to mark that as a loss as well. Next is a game that a lot of those people who just sent me in their predictions said we're going to win, and I actually think, and I believe this, 
The game we are least likely to win this season is at Iowa State in Ames. I think we have a better chance of beating West Virginia or beating Oklahoma at their place than beating Iowa State in Ames. Listen, Ames is terrifying. It is tough to win in Ames. And I think Iowa State, you heard me say this last week, is the dark horse to win the conference. Matt Campbell is the next head coach at a big Power 5 program. Mark it down. If Ohio State ends up getting rid of Urban Meyer or if something else goes awry at another program, Matt Campbell will get that job. Iowa State is going to be really, really good this season. They are really going to surprise people. And if you don't believe me, wait about two months into the season and then come back and let's talk. There's no way we're winning in Ames. I'm sorry. Iowa State's going to be very, very good. Another loss for Baylor. And that would be four in a row at this point, which would be tough. But I really just don't see us winning any of those four. After a return trip from Ames, we welcome our arch nemesis TCU to McLean Stadium. And as badly as I want to beat TCU, and trust me, I want to beat TCU more than anything, more than a bowl game. I just want to beat TCU. And if my record prediction comes to pass, then this would be for win five, which we would have to have in order to get to a bowl game with a win six. We're not beating TCU either. Barring some serious injuries on their squad, they're going to be really solid again this year. Gary Patterson has it out for Baylor, and I just don't see us beating a more talented football team. Five losses in a row, we will lose to TCU. And then finally, we play Texas Tech to close out the season, and that's going to be a win. I'm very confident this is Cliff Kingsbury's last season at the helm in Lubbock. He's had a nice little run, but they really haven't done a lot under his watch, and I think fans in Lubbock are tired of it. I think Baylor is the superior team here, both in terms of talent and in terms of coaching and scheme. So I give Baylor the win to finish the season, and if my predictions come to pass, that will leave Baylor with a 5-7 and seven record this year. If Baylor goes into that game with five wins against Texas Tech, I absolutely believe we can win and go to a bowl game. I just don't think, I cannot see where we get five wins before Tech. Again, maybe Duke and Kansas State, maybe Kansas State and Oklahoma State. I don't know, but it's going to be really tough. I think after a one-win season, we all really want to hype up this team and, and make it more than it is. We've still got some ground to make up, and there is still work to be done. And so my official prediction is that Baylor will go 5-7 and seven this season. In just a minute, I'll talk about what I think that means long-term. But first, let me get to one more guy. Jacob Rohrer sent in his prediction for this coming season, and I'll let him tell you all about it. What's going on, y'all? My name is Jacob Rohrer, and you can find me on Twitter at J-R-O-H-R-E-R-9-4. I'm going to give you my 62nd 2018 season preview, and I predict Baylor going 7-5 with wins over ACU, UTSA, Duke, Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa State, and TCU, and losses to OU, Texas, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, and Texas Tech. I'm a big advanced analytics guy, and both the FPI and the S&P Plus rating systems predict Baylor to go 6-6 this upcoming year. And there are four games on the schedules that I consider after looking at the analytics toss-up games. 
I really think that these four games are going to be the games that define our season. These games are Duke, Texas, TCU, and Texas Tech, and the results of these games are really going to dictate whether Baylor is bowl eligible or not. If we were going to win all four games, we could go 9-3. and three. If we lose all four, we could go 4-8, and eight. but from looking at the schedule, I'm thinking that the likely result is somewhere in the middle at 7-5. and five. From a personnel standpoint, we had freshmen and sophomores leading the team last year, and I'm excited to see what they can do with more experience this year. Last year, Charlie Brewer threw the most passes, John Lovett had the most carries, Denzel Mims and Tony Nicholson caught the most passes, and Harrison Hand led the secondary in tackles. Returning these young guys who now have a season of experience, getting Chris Platt back from injury and Jalen Hurd in as a transfer, I think the offense has some huge big play potential. I also think that the defense will be much stronger after the players have had a year to learn Coach Snow's system. I want to say thanks to Scotty for the opportunity to share my predictions for this season, and I'll see you all at McLean Stadium on Saturday at 7 p.m. when the Bears take on ACU. So if Baylor goes 5-7 and seven like I've predicted, what does that mean for the long-term future of Baylor football? Is that good enough? Is that positive? Are we happy with that? And I submit to you that, yes, we have to be happy with that. Stepping up from one wins to five is great trajectory for what would be to come after because I do believe that next season the 2019 season is going to be where we really find out if Matt Rule's system if his style if his philosophies if they work that will happen in 2019 this season I honestly think a bowl game is over exceeding what we should be expecting from this team And I think we have to count five wins as positive success. If we can win some of those close games, if we can hang in there with the tough teams, continue to play games close, even the ones we lose, I think you have to take five wins with a smile this coming season if you're a Baylor fan, even though it will mean missing a bowl game by just a hair. In fact, last week I thought Shihan Jayaraja made some really good points about Baylor and how its season can be successful even if that doesn't include bowl game. Take a listen. This is from last week's episode. You know, I know that there's a lot of people who are like, you know, it's bowl game or bust this year. I don't necessarily see it as that. For Baylor this year, I think... They have to win some of those 50-50 games. That's a big part of it. Uh, They have to show improvement with their young guys. You know, if you come in and you win three games and none of your seniors are going and playing in the NFL or, or even competing to play in the NFL, I think that you're starting to worry. If you don't see Charlie Brewer take a step forward, if you don't see the offensive line take a step forward, if the defense doesn't look more comfortable in Phil Snow's uh, defense, those are concerning things. And, you know, I think that they can win, you know, only a couple of games, you know, and maybe miss out on a bowl game and still be a relatively okay season. And that, I think, is what Baylor fans have to keep in mind, is that progress is more important than a win total this season. I really believe that. And, yes, I want to win six games. I want to go to a bowl. I want to win all our games. But if our players show improvement, if the schemes look like they're working – You know, like Sheehan said, if we're putting guys in the NFL next year, that's a huge step up from 2017. So I do think it's possible for Baylor fans to come away from this 2018 season with a sense of optimism and hope and excitement, even if we don't go to a bowl game. And so while I'm predicting five and seven, I am hoping for more. And I do believe it's possible there's more, but I think five and seven would actually be a successful year for the Bears. And so that's the official please bear with me season prediction. 
Here's this week's Minor Minute with Bears Illustrated's Andrew Miner. Thanks, Scotty. With college football less than a week away, I wanted to spend this Minor Minute discussing the gross, unnatural, and unwarranted off-the-field misconduct in the game today. Let me know if any of these quotes sound familiar. I think we did the best that we could at that time. I think I could have done more. I followed my heart, not my head. I understand I could have done a better job in this situation. The athletic training staff, while they basically misdiagnosed the situation. It's a failing of the entire system. Our most saddest and sobering finding is the total disregard for the safety and welfare of the victims. I'm extremely sorry. I'm just sorry we're in this situation. Those are from five different institutions where scandals have emerged in the past seven years that represent cover-ups spanning decades. Moving forward, which we say each time, we have to do better. But how? I would argue the solution is to either reform the NCAA or establish a new organization where the ultimate goal is to have safety for everyone and transparency of information to everyone. This organization, where all schools, public or private, would have to be members and follow mandatory university rules and training on all issues, would serve as a liaison from these institutions to their Title IX offices, to law enforcement, and to media. It would serve as a safe haven where people could go to file reports as well and know that they would be shared with the proper authorities and that this organization would provide their own independent investigation. Make no mistake about it, people at the top are lying, deliberately lying to stay in power and rake in millions of dollars each year. A reformed NCAA or new institution would work to change this room where it happens culture and just maybe provide hope in preventing domestic abuse, sexual assault, and deaths in the future. And while we prepare for a new season of college football, hopefully reform is coming as well. Back to you, Scotty. I think Andrew hit on a really important point, and that is that when it comes to the NCAA, the only consistency when it comes to off-the-field issues is that they keep happening, and they keep happening to a degree that is frightening. And so I want to thank him for that. And, you know, I don't know. I have a feeling we're still a long way from NCAA reform or a new governing body over college football, but he certainly presents some interesting ideas. So earlier this week, I got to jump on Skype with Elliot Coffey. Elliot is a former All Big 12 linebacker for the Baylor Bears. You might see him on television or hear him on the radio covering Baylor football. He's really smart. He had a great career both at Baylor and getting into the NFL. He'll talk about that a little bit, and he'll help me preview the 2018 Baylor Bears. So here's my conversation with former Baylor linebacker Elliot Coffey. Thank you so much for making time for us this evening. I'll try to be quick and uh, be respectful of your time. But for for listeners who may not know, uh, I know you're still very active in the Baylor family community, sports community. But for listeners who may not know, why don't you just give us a brief overview of what you're doing these days, man? Yeah, so I am in Houston now. Um, been back for, gosh, I guess about four or five years. And... Um, as a day-to-day, I work as a financial advisor, so mostly with families across Houston, some young professionals that have a kind of already outkicked their coverage in terms of, um, you know, their, their earning potential at a young age and uh, do some other retirement consulting stuff. So kind of a far cry from, from what I was doing with the football world. Uh, the way that I still kind of get that release now is 
you know, doing the pregame show and then doing the uh, the postgame radio show with Darius Smith and the guys. So um, down here in Houston, love it. Uh, love the job. Work with a great company. Have some great people that I work with. But um, that's kind of the, the paying the bills and the passion project mixed together. Absolutely. And that uh, the pregame and the postgame show gigs is how I've kind of knew you might be available to do a podcast or something like that. In fact, last season we had dozens of people, get Elliot Coffee, get Elliot Coffee. So a lot of people are big fans of yours. How did you get roped into doing that? Yeah, so that's actually a good question. So my, my first, uh, I guess, foray back into the media side of things was when I finished playing for the Texans down here in Houston, there was an an anchor that was working with at the time was Comcast Sports down here in Houston, and they were winding down the network. And they had probably two or three months left where they were going to have a show called um, Pro Football Focus. And it was mostly, like the name says, based around NFL, um, a little bit of college talk, but for the most part, talking about Texans, uh, talking about the the division, et cetera, et cetera. And had about three weeks that I spent working here in Houston, had a TV show, was really fun, um, and got some great, uh, got some great tidbits from, from doing that. Heath Nielsen, who at the time was the SID director with Baylor, caught on that I was doing it, was always, uh, you know, a guy that was on my team, you know, when I was in college, there was some tough games that we had where I had to go and do press conferences afterwards. We kind of had to just, you know, bite the bullet and really do it. And because of that, he was like, look, man, he's like, I saw what you were doing in Houston. I remember what you did you know, when you were back in college, why don't you come up here and try to do some stuff with us? So he put me in front of Jerry Hill, um, got me a chance to hop on the pregame TV show with Terrence and the guys. And basically what they did is they let me talk openly and were really impressed with what I did and and asked me if I could come back the next week and the next week. And then it it really grew into, into a TV show. That's awesome, man. And I know Heath is a great guy and has made a positive impact on a lot of uh, former athletes and coaches and all sorts of stuff. Good guy. Good connection. So I was, if I'm being honest, I'll reveal a flaw of mine as as a host here. I didn't even know you had spent time with the Texans. Will you briefly talk about your NFL career and on that same line, kind of what some of those guys are going through right now as they're in camp? preseason competing to make rosters guys like you know Baylor fans might know Katie Cannon or Rico Gathers trying to make the Dallas Cowboys roster what is that experience like yeah so it's tough uh I mean so to kind of trace things back so my senior year at college what a lot of people didn't know is that I had a broken bone in my shoulder and a a torn labrum for the entire season so very first play of the game I step out there boom shoulder pops out of socket rips everything to shreds so basically for you know, the entire football season, I was up at 6 a.m., five days a week doing shoulder rehab, trying to make sure that my shoulder stayed in socket during the games. Hmm. And so uh, by the time the season ended, I knew my shoulder was beat up, didn't know exactly how bad the injury was. So went and got an MRI and uh, did an X-ray. And they're like, look, it's, you know, it's broken. It's torn. We're going to have to do surgery. So I didn't get surgery until I guess it was February 28th of 2012. As you can imagine, that's right in the heart of combine Right. right in the heart of uh, pro day and then, you know, really talking to scouts, trying to figure out if they're going to give you a chance to play or not. So um, for a guy that was already kind of a late round at best draft pick, that makes it really tough. So for a guy like right. a, like a KD or a guy like a Rico that sneaks in a little bit later, um, that's kind of fair play. If, you, if you're if you not a fourth rounder or above, 
you're you're on the chopping block and you have to go out there and it starts in the spring with with OTA so you have a rookie mini camp where you come in and they kind of evaluate you and people get cut right away if they don't like the way you're moving or you have some type of injury that's why I was lucky enough when I got to Denver in 2012 mm-hmm. um, that even with the injury they held on to me and you know gave me a chance to go out there and at least be a camp body you know I um I end up running into a former Heisman winner today at the barber shop and that's one of the things we were talking about is you know camp bodies are a thing and you have to really find a way to separate yourself from being a camp body to being somebody that could actually contribute to the team, whether it's on practice squad or whether it's on the active roster. And for guys that are either a late round pick or an undrafted free agent, you basically have to get in early. You have to make sure that you know everything you do because you're not going to have a ton of opportunities. If you right. do well, then you'll have reps that'll show up. But for a lot of these guys, those reps never show up. And you only have one or two times to really flash during camp or during, uh, during the preseason. Otherwise, you won't make the team. Yeah, that's that's exactly it, and uh, you know I read a, the stat today that after this preseason, uh, you know when they have to go down to fifty three players per roster, that's over eleven hundred guys that suddenly don't have a job in the NFL anymore. So that process is crazy. And how did you get to the Texans? See, that's the part I, I knew you were in Denver for a stint. How did you get to Houston with the Texans? Yeah, so it was pretty funny. So um, so I was in, in Denver, got released, loved Colorado, so stayed up there to train and try to rehab my shoulder because day one of training camp, I was five months out of surgery. So um, stayed up in Denver, trained at Stedman Hawkins, came back to Houston uh, and went to actually went to that pro day in 2013. So I was at the pro day, uh, worked out with those guys. I think it was Terrence Williams and those guys, uh, pro day. And, you know, got some looks from a couple of different teams that, you know, wanted me to wanted me to try out. The only tryouts I ended up having were with the Redskins was in the middle of the summer. Um, and then a family friend of, of mine who's been a, a close confidant, been a father figure, been a mentor, Mark Schlereth, um, still had some relationships throughout the league and, and had some relationships specifically with Rick Smith, who at the time was the GM of the Texans, and wanted me to try to get an opportunity to, to see if I could still play some ball. So called up Rick. Um, they said, look, we're not going to promise you anything, but we'll give you an opportunity to go out there. This is actually a pretty cool story of mine. So we, um, I was at the time working at Enterprise Rent-A-Car because I didn't have, I didn't have a job. I was bored. I wasn't making any money. I was spending a ton of money to train. So I was like, look, I can't commit to a career at this point, but I definitely need to have some source of income. So I'm literally working at Enterprise Rent-A-Car. I've been there for a week and I'm out in the back and my phone vibrates and, and my agent was calling me saying, Hey, look, Elliot, you need to get ready. You've got to work out with the Texans on, on Sunday. And so I literally, you know, throw off all my stuff I was wearing, go straight to the gym and then start trying to refine my skills, get ready to go for a try on, uh, on a Sunday. So that morning, get up super early. Of course, I don't really eat much the night before. I'm pretty nervous. And my dad and I hop in the car. He drives me down to, um, into energy, uh, stadium. Now energy stadium at the time was reliant but drove me down to the bubble. And when I got there, there was five other linebackers that were there. And so they bring in, they do height, weight, they do all your different measurements, and then they put you on the 225 rack. So go in, hit a 225 pound, I think I hit it 20 times, which is was a max for, for me at the time. So hit 225 20 times, um, and then we go out and did a couple 40s, L drills, 20 yard shuttle, and then we went around and did footwork drill. And I knew I had blown it out of the water. I felt good. I felt pretty confident. Mm-hmm. And so of the guys that um, that were in there, the five of us, they said, well, thank you very much for your time. They, everybody go get showered. We'll come out. We'll meet with you guys one by one to let you know what we think. And so, mind you, two months prior, that exact same situation had happened with the Redskins. And they walked out and said, look, we're not signing either of you guys. Thanks for coming. 
And yeah. so we both got sent home. So I knew that there was a, the chance that none of us got signed, but I was hoping, you know, for dang sure it was at least me. So uh, we sat there and, you know, the first, you know, Rick Smith walks out of the out of the meeting room in the bubble. They have a conference room. It's got about eight people sitting around a table. It's all player personnel, different uh, analytics team members looking at how we would fit into the program. So he walks out and he calls the first guy in. It's not me. So the guy walks in and he walks back out and he's got his head down. He's not his head. He's like, damn it. He's like, you know what, you guys, he's like, good luck, man. They didn't pick me, but you know, good luck to you guys. I hope y'all do well. So at that point, we all know whoever the last person gets called in has the best chance of getting picked up by the team. <laughs> yeah. So the next guy goes in, same thing, comes out, head down, not his head. Third guy goes in, comes back out, not his head. So at this point, it's me and one other guy sitting in the, in, in the lobby. And, you know, we kind of have this tense pressure, like, good luck, man. But in reality, I'm like, dude, I hope they send your butt home right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, got to, got to send him home, right? So then Rick Smith comes out and there's kind of this pause and he calls the other guy in. And I'm like, Woo, I don't know what this means, but you know, your blood pressure is starting to pump. This excitement is starting to come in. And, um, the guy walks out, kind of daps me up. He's like, yeah, man. He's like, you know, good luck. They didn't want me. And so last walks out, Elliot, come in. So I walk in and sit down and, you know, like I said, you got Rick Smith at the table. You got a, a group of about 10 other guys kind of around the table looking at me. And they're like, they look at me and he goes, Hey, so what do you, what do you think? You know, how do you think you did? And I was like, Well, coach, I came prepared today. You know, I'm confident in my skills and I think that it showed today. And he's like, Good, good. He's like, Well, we do too. And I was like, Okay, well, what does that mean? He goes, He goes, We liked you. You think you flashed, you think you showed some good things. He was like, Let me ask you this. He goes, What are you doing this Friday? I was like, I don't know. What what am I doing this Friday? He was like, Well, you'd be running down the field against the Miami Dolphins. I was like, Ooh, let's go. So, oh man. Yeah. So signed signed that day and 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 made it through the rest of training camp. I ended up getting released at the end of training camp. So that's where my career ended. But um at least it ended at home. That's the first time yeah. my parents got to see me playing an NFL uniform and, you know, family and friends and, and just really overall great memories. That's incredible. That's a that's a great story. You weren't lying. Well, hey, let's move, if you don't mind, into uh, this Baylor Bears team. And obviously coming off of a one-win season, there's a lot of questions to be answered as we go into this second year of Matt Rule's tenure. Uh, Let's start on your side of the ball, defense. Strengths, weaknesses, who do you expect to pop? Where do some guys need to step up? What is your take on this uh, defense as we begin to get ready to enter the uh, 2018 season? Yeah, so uh, we only know – I like watching the preseason. I like to see you know what guys show during camp. But until you play against somebody in a different uniform, I don't have a whole lot of confidence around what somebody shows during training camp, right? Practice heroes, I think, are, are all over the place. But tracing back to, to last season, you know, if you think about areas – uh, that I'm concerned about at the linebacker position. I have was probably the only person I was a bigger fan of, uh, Baylor football wise than Corey Coleman was Taylor Young. And so losing right. Taylor, uh, in the leadership that he brought to that defense, his, um, you know, the ability to play all across that linebacking core, I think will be huge. Um, another area that I'm concerned about is the defensive line. I just think about how we really struggled to get pressure on the quarterback last year. Um, and I know that, you know, with, with the offense that we're looking at this year, it's, it seems to be a slower pace. You think that you'll get a, you know, you'll get less reps for the front line. And that's really what dictates how the rest of the, how the rest of the defense plays. And then to trace it to the back, I think our, our secondary is going to clearly be the strongest, you know, position that we have 
on defense. I think you you had a lot of really rough weeks. Um, you had a lot of guys that that got beat that played you know different positions. Think of a Blake Lynch kind of guy. Um, excited to see what he does back at safety and and I think that will really be the strength uh, is the secondary. What happens at linebacking core? Don't really know up front. Can we get pressure? These guys look bigger. They look faster. They look stronger. But from a technique standpoint, you need a lot of talent uh, up front to really make those that difference. Absolutely. And that's interesting that you say the secondary could be the best unit because I think a lot of people's perception of last year's team was that the safeties were the biggest weakness on the team. And when you look at it, a lot of times those safeties were forced into making plays they shouldn't have had to make because there were big runs allowed up the gut. So it all starts up front. Who who are two or three guys in that front seven that need to step up this season and have big years? Obviously, I think a lot of Baylor fans know and love Clay Johnston and uh, Ira Lewis. Who who are a couple other guys who really need to play up to their potential this season? Yeah, so um, I mean, I think Ira Lewis is absolutely going to be that the the foundational piece. I mean, if you think about what really drives the success of a defense in the front seven, if you can have somebody that can play a two gap that can really hold the point then you don't get your safeties blown up on the run and they're able to, to play stronger back in the safety position. I think uh, Deontay Williams is supposed to be a big pass rusher for us this year, so I'm excited to see what, what he does. And then, um, you know, so Henry Black is a guy that I actually trained with down in Houston uh, back when he was in high school. I guess he's from Baton Rouge. And uh, we had some NFL guys that I think kind of took him under their wing down here in Houston before he went up to Baylor. So to see him kind of move down to that linebacker position, I'm excited to see if that's a good adjustment for him. Because I got to tell you, it's a monster going from playing back at safety to playing in the box a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, did you see the news today that he got voted one of those single digit numbers? Mm-hmm. So I think now it's just a matter of, you know, playing up to that calling card. Moving to the offensive side of the ball, uh, the talk is all about receivers. Have you gotten to watch, have you been to practice at all yet? Have you gotten to watch Jalen Hurd play out wide? I have not, no. So what are your thoughts if if we look at the offense? Let's just go to the obvious. Offensive line is is where it's going to be, you know, make or break just because you would think quarterback, running back and receiver, you've at least got solid guys starting and some pretty decent depth. What have you seen or heard from this offensive line and what do you expect to see? Growth, uh, same old same old. There's been injuries already in camp. How do you see this season playing out with the offensive line? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I mean, for starters, you have players like uh, Sam Tecklenburg, who's going to be on the second year playing offensive line, right? Right. Yep. And so, I, you know, I think about the the role that the offensive line plays. You talk about the up front. I, you know, you got to focus on the big boys and what they have the ability to do is set the tone. And so, yeah, you have a great wide receiving core, but if you have a guy that has been playing tight end playing as a focal point of your offensive line, you're probably going to have some issues, right? You're probably going to have a hard time establishing the run. And so, you know, seeing him, um, seeing Fru Morgan, or however you pronounce his last name, a transfer in, another big body, um, I think that's a that's a, a big thing for us. How we replace, you know, a guy like Mo Porter um, at that left tackle position, I think will be a huge thing for us. I really don't know. Until I see them actually line up against somebody that's not in green and gold, I don't have a lot of confidence in him, but I'm hearing good things coming out of camp from people that are uh, feet on the ground. So speaking of lying up against other people, and I asked, I've asked a few people this question already, and, and I get mixed responses. How do you define success 
in year two based on the way year one went? Is it is four win success? Uh, is bowl game what defines success? How do you define success if you're Baylor going into this year after such a, uh, I mean, a rough, rough year last season? Yeah. Um, I think you define success a couple different ways. Uh, one important way is not making the same mistakes that we made last year. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, being too risk averse on third down or it's, you know, giving up the big plays up the gut. You know, I, I think that if you need to put a, a win total to it, um, I don't think this is a make or break year for the staff if they don't make a bowl game. But I think that pressure definitely gets put on and it, that pre- that's not a fun pressure. Um, this is a year where the Big 12 could potentially be a fairly strong conference. Um, and if we don't find a way to get points on the board, which I, I, I think we do. I mean, you talk about the wide receiving core. I think we're getting some, some, uh, should be healthy running backs, uh, out this year. But I think to be successful, this team, they need to go north of five wins. I don't think they necessarily have to go to a bowl game. Uh, and we don't need to see the same mistakes that we made last year. I think we need to see that rule and his staff, so many of those frustrations that we had last year because of the, the scheme that they were trying to run that we weren't fit for at the time. If we go out there and stick to that scheme that we saw, but we have successes and can convert on third and shorts, I think that that will be successful for us. And what do you expect to see scheme-wise from those guys? I know I I was critical last year of it didn't feel like we were good at going up-tempo when we got down by more than one touchdown. Uh, I was critical of some third-down play calls as well. Um, There were some times on defense against teams like uh, Oklahoma State, who you know they're going to run the no huddle, and yet they would snap the ball and our corners wouldn't even yet be lined up. Scheme-wise, how, how do they adjust going into year two of playing Big 12 football? Yeah, so that's that's kind of the thing about this scheme that I, I've, I've been trying to figure out. So they're not necessarily playing a traditional style of Big 12 football. I mean, you see quarterback under center. You see a power eye. Um, you, you definitely see on a, on a third and, and three, they're not trying to get it out quick. You know, they're not trying to play that traditional ball that we're used to. They're going to line up and they're going to play that that power eye they're going to play a pro style offense they're going to be under center they're going to possibly throw to the tight end which is kind of a a unicorn position to us um i don't think they're going to change and i think that's why we struggled so much in those those big play moments where we're used to excitement right where we're used to some type of trickery where we're used to you know that ball getting out wide quick and seeing you know a tevin reese one-on-one or Corey coleman one-on-one we don't have that right now and to be fair to the coaching staff, it's a heck of a lot easier on the defense when you do run the style of offense that they're looking at. Because when you run 100 plays on defense, you're you're going to give up points. You're going to give up big points. And I think what Absolutely. they're trying to do is is really lower um, the amount of snaps that the defense gets because that allows them to play fresh and that allows them to play fast. When you look ahead at this 2018 season, ultimately, give me your give me your preseason prediction, man. What do you see Baylor doing? Record-wise, if you want to break down a couple games, go for it. But but where does Baylor end up at the end of uh, 2018? Oh, man, you get in trouble when you do these. Um, Yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so rather than than a win-loss total, um, I'll talk about what I think are are a couple of of pivotal games for us. This should go without saying, but unfortunately it doesn't. We need to beat ACU for the first game of the season. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't think five years ago that would have been uh, too much to ask, but I think, you know, with that perfect storm of, of everything falling apart and the injuries that, that kind of hit us when they did, uh, you know, last year against Liberty, 
you don't overlook any games. And I think that's one thing that this team learned. You asked me what I see as success. Not making the same mistake twice, not overlooking little games. Um, I think that ACU game is big. I think UTSA is big um, simply because traveling down to San Antonio is our first road game of the season. So it'll be a big one to set the tone because if you go down to San Antonio and you lose a game in San Antonio to a, you know, a group of five team, then boom, you swing back that next week and you have Duke, who's got one of the most phenomenal linebackers in the country. If you lose that game, then some of that hangover carries over to Duke. And, and if we can start that season off 3-0, and the complexion heading into Kansas feels completely different. So um, I think that you know we really need to build the momentum early on in the season. These usually are pancake games, but you, you don't take anything for granted after 2017. So I think start really fast, make a statement, go out there, win the games that you need to win, and then make get a big marquee win against Duke at home. You know that's something that I think the fan base could really get behind. And if we can get the fans back in it, and that the team can really build some confidence, then man, heading to Big 12 play, starting with uh, or headed into Big 12 play with Oklahoma after that. Things things don't really get easier after that. So that's what I'm looking for. Well, Elliot, thank you so much for your time. And I appreciate it. I know you are in demand from all sorts of podcasts and Baylor publications like us. So I appreciate you coming on and giving us your expertise. You're welcome back anytime, my friend. Yeah, man. Thank you very much. Sorry about missing you guys uh, last season. And anytime you want to get a hold of me, man, give me a shout. I'll hop on here with you guys. That sounds great. I'll do it. Thanks, man. All right. That's going to do it for this second episode of Please Bear With Me Season 2. We are rolling. We are feeling good. And in case you did not see the announcement today, we actually dropped two episodes today to get fired up for ACU on Saturday. So go listen to Episode 3 as soon as you have a second. But that's it for Episode 2. God bless you. Sick'em Bears. Please Bear With Me is brought to you by Bears Illustrated over at Baylor 247. Thanks to my man Tim Watkins over there. Thanks to Iron Kids for all the music you heard on today's podcast. Go check them out, Iron Kids, on SoundCloud. I've been Scotty Swingler, and this is Please Bear With Me. Get in touch with us anytime by tweeting at bear underscore podcast or emailing me at scottswingler at gmail.com subject podcast. We'd love to have you on the podcast. One more reminder, the live stream, please bear with me, the show will come on Friday at 9.30 p.m. Periscope, Facebook Live. Make sure you've got your notifications turned on and you're watching for please bear with me.